Please be seated. If you have a Bible with you, please open to Matthew chapter 6. We'll look at verses 9 through 11 this morning. So uh, yesterday, um, Jerry and I were standing in the kitchen and uh, doing various things, and Ransom comes in and asks for a pencil. And uh, we're both standing there doing other things at the moment, and we said, yeah, um, but uh, we didn't move to get a pencil for him. Right? And uh, after a minute, <clears throat> he, he climbed up on the counter and found a pencil for himself, and as he was leaving to go draw something, he said, thanks, Mom. Uh, and I think he really meant that, um, not, not sarcastically, not like, thanks for getting me that pencil that I asked you for. <laughs> um, uh, he said, thanks. Does that seem familiar to you? It sounds to me like the way that, uh, that I am with a lot of my prayers. Let me explain that. I think there's a, there's a movie, uh, it's, a, it's a Henry Fonda movie, old movie called Spencer's Mountain that I've heard of, I haven't seen. But I've heard this great uh, little quote from it that... <clears throat> Fonda's character is offering this prayer up as they sit down at the meal, which is a standard practice for many Christians, right? They sit down at the meal, you offer thanks, you say grace. And this is his prayer. Lord, we plowed this land and cleared it, and we planted these crops and tended them and harvested them, and we cooked this meal, but thank you for it anyway. Um, It's easy to think that way isn't it? Um, to, to feel that way about your prayers, about your thanksgiving to God. It's extremely difficult to believe that God is actually the one who provides for our needs, especially when it comes to, I think, our physical needs, material needs like food and clothing. Um, and yes, we're supposed to thank God for food and clothing and for everything, but it's just it's too hard to escape the materialistic worldview that understands only the physical explanations of cause and effect. Right? This food's on my table because I went and worked a hard week, got a paycheck, went and bought the food, came from some guy, farms it, you know, et cetera, et cetera. We put this food together. <clears throat> We're supposed to thank God for it anyway. Um, it's hard to connect, really, to the fact that ultimately we draw our sustenance from God in his providence, rather than the easily observable natural phenomenon around us. Uh, It's easier to depend on what we can see, to depend on what we can explain, uh, to depend on what we can do and get for ourselves. It's easier to depend on those things than it is to depend on God for everything that we need in this life. In the Lord's Prayer, in this petition that we're looking at this morning, Uh, we're expressing our constant dependence on God's grace, on God's provision, on God's really intimate supervision of all of our needs, uh, all of them, both uh, physical and spiritual. As we consider it uh, this morning, this petition, Give Us This Day Our Daily Bread, um, we'll think about how that dependence on God, how that reliance, that trust, Uh, translates into the way that we live our lives as Christians. So let's pray, and then we'll read the scripture. Father, we ask that as we come to your word, that you would show us what's in our minds and hearts, how we need to be changed, how we need to be shaped more into the likeness of Christ, 
And would you do that by your word, by your Holy Spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew 6, Jesus said, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. So in the Bible, uh, bread is a symbol, it's a metaphor uh, for life's basic necessities. So when we pray for our daily bread, um, by implication we're praying for so many more things than just to have a loaf of bread on the table that we can share as a family. Right? Um, often we think of the basic necessities of life being things like food and clothing and shelter. And um, I think this prayer covers even more than that. I think we can safely expand that list quite a bit to cover things like a relatively stable political environment, a social environment, economic environment, where we can grow grain and distribute it and purchase it and prepare bread and eat it in peace, right? Um, You might add in things like basic health, the ability actually to eat the bread that's on your table. You might even add in Things like emotional or mental or relational health as things that are necessary for real human life. Um, There's a lot more to physical life than just bread. And we pray for all those things uh, through this petition of the Lord's Prayer. And more than that, more than that, we also pray for spiritual life and sustenance, don't we? Um, I don't at all mean to spiritualize the petition in a way that negates its use for our physical, earthly life, as if, um, I was saying, you know, it's kind of illegitimate to pray for things like your health. Um, That's not what I'm saying. But it's clear from the Bible that we should consider spiritual things, uh, obviously. And Jesus talks about the bread of life, the bread of heaven, bread from God. And he's not just talking there about whole wheat or gluten-free types of bread, right? Um... In John 4, Jesus said to his disciples, I have food to eat that you do not know about. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So the sustenance for Jesus' life, the basic necessity of his life, what truly satisfied him in his nature as a spiritual man was to please God his Father. To do his will. That's what satisfies Jesus. That's why uh, Brian Chappell can put it this way in his book on prayer, Praying Backwards. Um, It's a quote that shows up in the beginning of your bulletin. He says, when Christians pray for daily bread, we're not simply praying for our natural wants. Again, I add in, we are praying for those things, right? We're not simply praying for our natural wants. We're praying for the ability to please God. Because pleasing God satisfies us. Heaven's bread is God's supply of everything we need to nourish the desire and ability to please him. So God made us. He made us to live for him. He gave us life so that we should turn right around and give that life back to him. And that's where we find our satisfaction. The purpose of our life is fulfilled We find our satisfaction in living for God. And if we want to be able to do that, 
he's going to have to make that possible. Right? He's going to have to sustain us. He's going to have to give us the necessary bread. If he's going to enable us to serve him in this world, on one level, then physically speaking, he's going to have to keep us alive, right? If we're going to serve him in this world, we've got to stay alive, and so we need the necessary um, basic necessities of life. So we'll need things like food and clothing and shelter and relationships and society, etc. Now, like I said earlier, it's really hard for us to believe that things like these come to us from God, that we don't just kind of make these things happen for ourselves. Uh, pride is at work in us, preventing us from constant dependence on God, preventing us from attributing to God the work of keeping us alive, of sustaining us. It's pride because we're sinful creatures who would rather take the credit for ourselves. Right? We'd rather have nothing to do with God, and if we're alive, we'd like to take the credit for that. Um, we're just born that way. Uh, my mom always likes to tell the story to all my friends, embarrassingly, <laughs> that, um, <clears throat> that my favorite first phrase as a toddler was, I do it myself. I do it myself. Um, and so I'd grab that bottle of chocolate milk and I'd drink it without anybody's help. <laughs> right? It's, it's innate. Back then, my independence was expressed in one way. And now it's expressed in another way. But basically, it's just the same thing. It's independence. It's the same proud assertion of independence. I do it myself. But that's pretty unrealistic, isn't it? I mean, um, I don't even think you have to be a Christian to consider how unrealistic it is that we're just, we get life for ourselves, right? In America, one can put in a hard day's work and become wealthy, But in most other parts of the world and for most of history, people have worked their fingers to the bone night and day and still not been sure where their next day's bread was coming from. Their poverty is not ultimately due to their inability. And our wealth is not ultimately due to our ability. Our ability to get things like food and shelter for ourselves is dependent on so many factors, on so many circumstances that are beyond our control that is just silly arrogance to think that we ultimately provide for ourselves, isn't it? Ultimately, God is the one who keeps this world working in such a way that we are able even to live. You've seen the strain that a single storm can put on a society's ability to live. And the Bible puts it this way in Deuteronomy 8, which we read for our Old Testament reading, which uh, Deuteronomy, by the way, is a, uh, is a sermon that Moses gives. It's like the greatest sermon ever. <clears throat> um, you might not think so. Deuteronomy might strike you as a little bit boring, but it's, uh, it's really fascinating. Deuteronomy 8, uh, verse 17 and 18, he said, Beware lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. You have bread on your table. It's because you're wealthy. It's because you have the power to get wealth. Where did that come from? God was the one who showered down in, uh, in um, 
Deuteronomy there, what Moses is talking about, he's, he's the one who showered down mysterious manna, right? Your fathers did not know this. Nobody's ever seen this before. It is literally, physically, bread from heaven. He showered it down on his people to keep his people alive and to keep his people dependent as they wandered in the wilds. He says, I let you hunger and I fed you with manna that your fathers didn't know in order to humble you, to keep you dependent. The manna had, um, as you're probably familiar with, built-in obsolescence, right? It had a 24-hour expiration date, as does most of our food, actually, uh, real food anyway, to reinforce every day for decades, 40 years, every day, the fact that God is the one who provided for their physical needs. And that he indeed was happy to do so in spite of their being total ingrates. They were like spoiled children being fed bread. They even got meat, they complained. God sent them meat out of nowhere. Right? From heaven. Yet God continued to sustain them by his grace out of his abundant resources. He even provided for them in such a way that uh, miraculously, so you know it wasn't just some fluke natural occurrence, they were able to gather double manna on the sixth day that had a 48-hour expiration date so that on the seventh day they could rest and worship. A whole generation of Israelite children grew up in immediate, visible, tangible, material dependence on God for bread, a dependence that enabled them and freed them to live for him fully, to worship him. And this is meant as a lesson for us, that God takes care of all of us, and he does so in order that we would become thankful and give our lives to him as a response. More importantly than sustaining us physically, he sustains us spiritually in every way. And again, I don't mean to be Gnostic about this, as if the physical stuff doesn't matter. Of course, matter matters. God created all of it, and he called it all very good. And God became matter. He became physical. He entered this physical world, and he will rule over a physical world forever as a physical being in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. But for now, it seems that his spiritual sustenance is more important than his physical sustenance of our lives. I say that, um, I say that for two reasons, primarily. Uh, First, this petition for daily bread, like the other petitions that come before in the Lord's Prayer, ultimately will not be answered perfectly until the new heavens and the new earth come. When Jesus comes again to fully establish his kingdom and set everything right and remove the curse and all of its effects forever, only then will physical bread be guaranteed to us every day. No more hunger. So it will not be perfectly fulfilled in this life as we pray this prayer. Secondly, it seems that, um, that our spiritual life is currently an overriding consideration for God, whether he provides for our physical life. Does that make sense? I mean, that's what he said to the Israelites in the wilderness. 
I let you hunger. Up first, before I provided the manna, I let you hunger to humble you, to make you dependent on me. Often in this world, God withholds or takes away what we actually need to live in order to provide us with eternal life. Maybe, maybe you've never gone a day without food in your cupboard, like me, um, but there are millions of people who pray this prayer for daily bread who do not actually receive physical bread, right? who don't have sufficient physical clothing or shelter. Or maybe they just no longer have sufficient health in their bodies to be able to eat and digest their daily bread. I remember it being a very strange thing to think about at my grandmother's deathbed um, that she was refusing food that last day. She had eaten her last meal. Her health had failed, and, and she died and didn't have bread that day. Had God been unfaithful to let her die? Had God failed to answer this prayer for daily bread? Is he totally unreliable since so many people are dying right now around the world from starvation and from exposure? No. Because more important than this earthly life is our spiritual life, our life with God, our eternal life. And when people pray as Christians... Give us this day our daily bread. God always answers that prayer by giving them everything they need to glorify God. Everything they need for true life, even if they don't have everything they need for this temporal life. Um, Ephesians 1, Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We've been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even if we haven't been given every basic necessity for this life. You've been given things that make angels glorious. Even if you haven't been given material things that unbelievers possess. And that's a matter for your faith because you can't see it with your eyes. You can't explain it by what you see in this world. You can't taste that with your mouth, what's going on in the heavenly places right now where you've been given every spiritual blessing. You're told about it in the gospel, but you can't see it. You can only believe what God says. It's there for your faith. And this is what God says in 2 Peter Peter chapter 1. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Right, so God has called you for his own glory to give your life to him as a response of thanksgiving. And if you know him, then you have everything you need, all things that pertain to life and godliness. God has supplied the basic necessities and more for your spiritual life through a relationship with him by his grace, through his son. John 17, Jesus said, 
This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. All right, so the essence of our spiritual eternal life is an intimate knowing of God, a relationship with God through Jesus, whom God sent by his grace to win our eternal life for us. We were dead in our sin. We were dead in our rebellion against God. And we deserved eternal death under his righteous wrath because we are ungrateful, uh, spoiled children like Israel in the wilderness. But instead of wiping us out, God sent Jesus to be our life, to step in and die for us on the cross, to take away God's anger from us forever, to take our eternal death. Jesus took all of it. And in doing that, Jesus gave his perfect human, physical body and blood for our spiritual sustenance, for our heavenly food, for our true and ultimate satisfaction in this life. <clears throat> These are some of the things that he says in John chapter 6. I'm going to read from various verses. Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So if you consume Jesus, if you partake of his flesh and blood by faith, then you have received everything that you need for life. You will always receive your daily bread. You will never hunger or thirst again, even if your body dies from hunger, from lack of bread. You, if your trust is in him, then your soul is dependent on the grace of Christ, which is abundant. Your soul is content with the life that is found in his sacrifice for you. And if that's true, then you can, you should be able to, with Paul, say in Philippians chapter 4, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. And I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Through Christ who strengthens me, who nourishes me, who feeds me, I can face hunger. Has God failed to answer my prayer for daily bread? No, I have Christ. I have the bread of God, the bread of life, the living bread that came down from heaven and I will live forever. What did the Lord Jesus say when he gave us the table? 
He said, this bread is my body, which is given for you. God loves us. He sent his son Jesus into the world to be our life and our salvation, and we participate in his eternal physical life by his spirit as we come to the table with faith. We can't see Jesus. He's in heaven bodily, but he has given us this bread and this cup, this mystery, this sacrament to strengthen and nourish our faith in him. As surely as you can see it and touch it and taste it, you can be sure that Jesus' life counts for you. His death counted for you, that he stands in heaven right now as your representative, that you have eternal life if you put your trust in him, if you depend on him to provide it. And one day, one day this simple bread will become a grand feast full of joyous sights and sounds and textures and smells and tastes as we're gathered around some massive yet intimate table with each other in the new heavens and the new earth. God has provided eternal life for us. He's guaranteed this feast for us by giving of his own son for our relationship to him. So turn away from your self-reliance for your life and ask God for your bread, for your daily bread, your physical bread, but especially your heavenly bread, your eternal bread and eternal life. Pray this prayer in the morning every day and set your heart in constant dependence on God as your provider. Pray this prayer in the evening and consider with gratitude all the ways that God has answered it, especially as he has blessed you in the heavenly places. Use this prayer to reorient your desires to God's desires. You're you're praying for your needs, not your greeds, as someone has said. Pray this way. Father, I'm pretty sure I need bread today. Please give it to me. You feed all the sparrows. Thank you for your provision. Do I need to eat a king's feast at every meal? Help me to be content with a simple life and to enjoy with thanksgiving those special gifts of your bounty. Or Father, I, I know I need clothing today. Please give it to me. You, you clothe the lilies of the field in beauty. Thank you for these clothes. Should I remodel for a walk-in closet? Or can I take some of these clothes down to the shelter? Father, I, I think I need a roof over my house today. Please give it to me. But should I live in an apartment or a house or what? When, I'm, when am I crossing over to building bigger and better barns like Jesus warned against? Father, in this society, I think I may need a vehicle to be able to work. How much should I spend on one? How... How will that affect my ability to give to your work, to give my life to you in this world? These prayers give us this day our daily bread. They they acknowledge our dependence on God. They express our gratitude for his provision. And as a response, uh, we submit our lives to his rule for his glory, which is why we were given life in the first place. 
God gave us life so that we would return it to him in praise. And he's given us everything we need in Christ for life and godliness. So the one who is content in God's provision of bread, both heavenly bread and earthly bread, is truly able to live for God. Just think, if God himself, the creator and sustainer of the universe, is your father, he's given you bread every day for your whole life, how does that affect your gratitude, your thanksgiving? Does that give you contentment and real joy, even in the few simple things that you might enjoy in this life? Doesn't it fill your heart when you sing, praise God to whom all bless- from whom all blessings flow? Right? When do we sing that? When do we sing the doxology? During the service. Historically, God's people have sung the doxology at the offering. Because it's a reflection on his generosity to us. And in that reflection, we become generous. If your father who owns everything, who loves you, has given you your daily bread, then you can give. You don't have to be afraid to give away what you don't need. Most Christians have really had to pray for daily bread. And they have given out of their poverty. And we have in the bank daily bread for two months, a year. Surely we can give out of our excess. From that uh, reflection this morning during the offering, giving his faith. The one who trusts that God will supply his every need has no fear of becoming generous. In giving away what the world says he needs to survive, he confesses that the source of his security is a good father in heaven. So even if you give away your last couple of coins, like the widow in the gospel, and you die, you have Christ. You have living bread from heaven. Do you believe that? You will never hunger And you will never die. If you're sustained by God, if you're you're dependent on Him, if you're content in Him, then you can be impervious to advertising in our consumer culture. Right? You know it's a lie that you'll be really happy if only you get X. Or that you'll be empty and alone and in despair unless you get X. You know those are lies. If you're full of the living bread of heaven, then you can make wiser decisions about your resources than just compulsive shopping or therapeutic shopping. You can store up treasures for yourself in heaven rather than on earth. You can imitate your heavenly Father who is the giver of every good and perfect gift. You can work. If your dependence is on God, you can work without the stress of believing that providing everything for your family is all on your shoulders. Ultimately, it's on you. God is taking care of your family. 
And I'm not advocating for laziness or irresponsibility. You probably are the means by which God provides for your family. But you can put away the anxiety of having all of that rest on you ultimately. And even though you didn't get all your work done on Friday before 5 o'clock, you can really rest. You can go home and rest. And rest on the Sabbath. And turn your attention to God in worship because He has provided for you so that you can do that. Because your work isn't ultimately what brings you life. God is who brings you life. He provides for you in such a way like the manna in the wilderness that enables you to observe the Sabbath and to rest and to enjoy Him and to give Him thanks. So you can cast away all of your worries. If, you, if, you, if your dependence is on God and you're content in His provision and you know that He's going to provide for you, you can cast away all your worries about your future or your retirement. And I'm not saying it's not wise to, to save money for your retirement or whatever you've got planned, right? But God, your Father, will take care of you always, every day. And unlike our earthly fathers, He is not going to die. He is not going to fail to give you exactly what you need every day. The Gospel says that God has already given you everything and that we have a relationship with Him by His grace where He promises us eternal life, you really can trust in Him to provide for everything you need. And you can move out from that place of trust, of dependence, and contentment, and give everything that you have and everything that you are to honor Him who gives you life. Amen. Let's pray. Father, it is very difficult for us to trust in you, to provide for us in a way that relieves us of our cares, of our worries, of our anxiety. And yet, um, you've freely given your own son. How will you not also with him give us all things? You've already given us everything we need for eternal life. And you've proven yourself so faithful as to provide us bread and more every day for all of our lives. There's so many ways in which you provide for us that we surely don't deserve. But we pray that you would help us to connect those dots in our minds and our hearts. That you are the one who provides for our every need. And that as such, you are the one who deserves glory from our lives. Help us to want to return thanks to you and gifts to you and service to you because you've given us life. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.